Good morning. I requested from your staff that I could start earlier today because I want to be able to teach the full content and have a ministry time. So what we're going to do is we'll still take our break at 9. That's what you normally do, right? 9. We'll still take our break at 9 and um, then go back into teaching. And then probably around 10.30, we'll switch it up, put all the chairs away, and we'll turn this place into a ministry time. I have probably about eight or nine people coming in to help pray. Um, Scotty will come in and help with worship. So we're going to have a good morning this morning. All right. Well, um, yesterday I was in storytelling mode and got to share with you my story. You saw the slideshow. It's proof that it's true. Um, but, but this morning I'm going straight into teaching mode. And I have a website. It's amyward.org. Pretty easy. And on there, you can download all of my notes. People ask me, can I use your notes to preach and teach from? You can if you want. You just need to own it in the sense of, hey, I got these from somebody else. So that's just integrity that I do. Anytime I use somebody else's stuff, hey, I didn't come up with this, but why recreate the wheel when somebody else did? So um, you're welcome to those notes. And if you prefer to listen and not take notes this morning, then you have permission to do that. If you like to take notes, that's up to you. So I, I tend to go a little fast. I'll try to slow it down because we have enough time today. Not just because I have so much content to go through, but outside of that, um, yeah, you get it. So when it comes to the subject of the Holy Spirit, depending on your background, depending on where you're from, what you grew up in, there's many connotations and ideas and names and thoughts that we have. Um, so I understand that part, and I understand the backgrounds that are in the room, and I'm, I'm very used to it. So I try to kind of come at it from a couple different perspectives. But the thing that I want to start with this morning is that the Holy Spirit is a real person in the Trinity. So you have God the Father, you have God the Son, and you have God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a real person inside of that Trinity. He, he has a role, just as Jesus has a role. And, and the Father has a role, the Holy Spirit has a role, and he's that third person in the Godhead. So in Acts 2, which are, we're going to teach on later, it's not like the Holy Spirit just shows up on the scene uh, later on in the New Testament. He's always been a part of who God is. It's the Spirit of God. So in the very beginning of the creation of the earth, we actually see that the Holy Spirit has a role in, act in the creation of the earth. We see this in, in Genesis 1, 2. It says, The earth was formless and void, and water was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Well, the Spirit of God is the Holy Spirit. So actually in the formation of the very earth that we live on, the Holy Spirit was brooding and creating with God the Father in, in the world that we now live in. We see that the Holy Spirit has a role in the creation of man. When God created Adam in Genesis 2-7, it said, The Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. That word breath in the original Hebrew language is spirit. So he breathed his spirit into Adam, and he became a living being. So the very life that's in our in who we are, the creation of who we are, is breathed by the actual spirit of God, which is it's amazing. 
You know, throughout the Old Testament, we see in these stories where the Holy Spirit would come upon people like Samson with supernatural strength and Gideon and David. And they were able to do supernatural things that they couldn't do the moment before. But it says the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And when he did, then we would see wild things happen, power that's beyond the human being. But then in the New Testament, we see how things change where the Holy Spirit comes as in it comes inside of us not just upon us so when Jesus comes to the earth we see that the holy spirit is actually with him in Luke 321 you know the story of Jesus being baptized in water and the holy spirit comes in the form of a dove and the father god says you know this is my son in whom I'm well pleased and right after that in Luke 41 says Jesus being filled with the holy spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus was constantly talking about how he and his father were one, and he didn't do anything unless he saw his father in heaven do it. So I want to say, say this from the beginning. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He's God. The Holy Spirit is not a goosebump. He's God. The Holy Spirit is not a toy. He's God. The Holy Spirit is not charismatic. Or Pentecostal. He's God. He's the same Holy Spirit to the Baptist, to the Lutheran, to the craziest charismatic person. You know, he's the same Holy Spirit. Now, he gets a bad rap sometimes. He gets blamed for a whole lot of things that ain't him. And he's called a lot of things that isn't him. But the thing about who he is is he is God. He's not a wind that just blows in a room and, and all of that. I and mean, he might do those things. You might, you might get goosebumps when he comes in. You might have a feeling, but it's not who he is. It's just sometimes the manifestation of the increase of who he is, right? So I want us to think this morning in the place of God the Holy Spirit as a person. It's easy for us to think of Jesus as a person because he came to the earth as a person. He has a human body. And it's easy for us to think of God as a person because we already are the father because we all have a father, and it says that Jesus was created in his image. It's a little harder sometimes for us to picture the Holy Spirit as a person, but I want you to be able to do that this morning. So Jesus is the model on the earth of what we're meant to do in walking. Do you guys agree? So every single thing that Jesus did was to model something, to teach us something. So when Jesus says, as a human, how many of you guys loved the message the other night from Trent Shepherd? Wrecked, right? It just was mind-blowing to think Jesus walked on the water as a person. <sighs> I'm just like, I knew that, but wow. So in this, what he's saying, in that same thing of what you're thinking, yes, he's the son of God, but he limited himself in that time as a person to model what's actually possible in walking with God. So he says, I don't do anything. Unless I see my father in heaven do it. What is he having like an open vision of what God's doing or, you know. But I think what that is more like what he's saying here is he's so in tune with the father that he actually is in perfect unity while he's on earth with what the father is doing in heaven. So he's not just thinking, hmm, I'm going to go over here and do this today. He's, he's doing it because of his relationship with the father and they're modeling unity between heaven and earth. So everything that Jesus did pointed to the Father God. It, and he was the 
the lamb that was slain for all of humankind, that we could have eternal life. He, he, Jesus was that. But he was in perfect unity with the Father. So in the same way, the Holy Spirit is, he, the Holy Spirit is here with us, but the Holy Spirit is in perfect unity with the Father and with the Son. So it's not like Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, the Father's sitting there, and Holy Spirit just went crazy rogue down here. No, he, everything that the Holy Spirit does, that's truly the Holy Spirit, always points to Jesus. So sometimes people are like, well, how do you know if that's the Holy Spirit or not? Does it point to Jesus? Does it, does it bear fruit that points to Jesus, right? It's not like the Holy Spirit's just bored down here. He's like, watch this, Jesus. I'm going to push this guy over. Nope. Now, people might fall over. Why do people fall over? Because they can't stand up. Selah. Pause and think of that. All right? I, you know, I've been doing this a little while. I've seen a lot of people not be able to stand up. They're not more spiritual. They're not better. Just sometimes a whole lot of God on this earthen vessel and knees buckle. I don't, it doesn't work. Suddenly, just too much Jesus can't stand up. But it's not like the Holy Spirit's like, watch this, ha, 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 you know. All of it. If he ever has fun, it would be in unity with the Father and the Son. As I said, a lot of things get blamed on the Holy Spirit. And he's like, that's not me. That's them. So we have to remember, just because somebody says something is the Holy Spirit, doesn't make it automatically true. Does it point to Jesus? Does it bear fruit? Now, I don't walk around judgmental going, hmm, hmm, hmm. I just assume that people love Jesus, and when they're ministering, it points to Jesus, unless it doesn't. Right? So I don't walk around, well, is this, does this do this? And, you know, because there's a lot of things that I don't understand or I've never seen before. So therefore, it's going to take me some time to figure it out. But truly what the Holy Spirit will always do is he points to the Father and the Son. Now, in John 14, 16, Jesus is praying here and he says to the disciples, I will pray to the Father. This is before he's ascended into heaven. I will pray to the Father that he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. That name, comforter, is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. So he said, I'm going to give you a comforter that will abide. He will be with you forever because I'm going to the Father. In John chapter 16, verse 7 and 8, he's talking to the disciples again, and he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Okay, just think about that. We'll come back to that. In John 14, 12, he says, truly, truly. When he says truly, truly, that means thus saith the Lord. You know, like this is really, really true. Extra emphasis. I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he's also going to do. And greater works than these will he do because I go to the Father. Mark chapter 15, 16, he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke 24, verse 49, he says, and behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. So comforter is one of the names of the Holy Spirit. Helper, there's many, many ones. We'll get into that. 
But in the verse when he says, the helper will not come to you, he's saying the Holy Spirit. So he's the helper there, capital H. Um, when he's talking about the promise, the promise is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send my promise upon you. He's referring to the Holy Spirit. So I do this every single time because it helps us in our imaginations and our understanding. Now I'm going to take some creative license here, but I want you this morning to use your sanctified imaginations and think of yourself as one of the 12 disciples, okay? Imagine yourself getting to be one that walks with Jesus in, in that time. That would be amazing. So the average age of the disciples, when Jesus comes on the scene and he calls them to come and follow him, is like between like 18 and early 20s. So young people. And they're doing different jobs. They're, some of them are, you know, fishermen, as we know. They're, they're oftentimes, whatever your father did, you would take on the family business. Just like Jesus was a carpenter because Joseph was a carpenter. So that same way, that would be true. I'm a fifth-generation commercial fisherman. Very true in my family. And my brother is now the one doing it because that's all he knows. That's what he grew up doing. So here's these guys, and they're doing whatever responsible job they're supposed to do. That doesn't mean that's what they wanted to do. Just that's what was expected of them. How many of you know what that's like sometimes? These expectations to do things, and you, maybe you have a different dream or desire. But they're just doing their jobs. And here comes the greatest man that ever walked the face of the earth. And he's already pretty cool because he's a rabbi. So a 30-year-old, okay, I'm almost 39, like in a couple weeks. So I'm almost 39. Jesus, this is nine years younger than me right now. That's wild to think, too. It's kind of the average age of some of your school leaders. Think about that for a second. 18, 19-year-olds, 30-year-old. So Jesus comes and he says, leave everything that you're doing and come and follow me. They didn't pray about it. They just did it. They dropped their nets. They dropped what they were doing, and they followed Jesus. I don't know what their families thought about it. I don't know what their friends thought about it. But they dropped what they were doing to follow him. And so they go on the greatest DTS there ever was. They kind of did lecture phase and outreach at the same time, okay? So he, he'd model it, they would do it, and they were screwing up constantly. But they go on a three-year, everyday adventure with Jesus. So for three years, they're in lecture on mountaintops, man. What is he saying? Getting it wrong. They're seeing him do the craziest miracles. I mean, the craziest thing, casting out demons, people getting healed, spitting in mud. I mean, crazy stuff. So it says that Jesus did so many miracles, they wouldn't fit in the books of the earth. I don't know, mind blown. So guys, we just know the highlights. Can you imagine that movie we're going to watch in heaven, a three-year movie? No way. That one didn't make it in the book, but awesome. So they did, this is what their normal life is. And they live in the same places. They sleep in the same rooms. They sit around the same tables. And Jesus is a man, and so are all of them. But yet he's the perfect man who's never sinned. So that means he's perfectly kind. He's perfectly funny. <laughs> he's perfectly all of these things. It would be amazing to have a friend like that. Now, Jesus had a personality, and it's not like mine. So when he says, be, ho he says, be holy like I'm holy, he's not saying have the same personality as me. He was a Jewish man that lived a couple thousand years ago. I'm a white girl living in America in 2019. Different time, different personality. Jesus had a personality. So he's not saying be all the same. 
He's saying, be holy like I'm holy. Walk like I'm walking. So these are these guys, you know, and, and they're fishermen. I grew up around fishermen. Not too sanctified sometimes, you know. There's certain sayings about fishermen, loggers, things like that from where I grew up. Those were them. And he's probably laying in bed, and these dudes are being ridiculous. Hey, guys, watch. Hey, John, watch this. <laughs> Knock it off, you know. Hey, hey, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I got, I got two teenage boys. I've had all the boys in my youth group. <laughs> Who did that? Disgusting. Jesus is laying there. Father, why have you forsaken me? Are you sure that these are them? Mm-hmm. And he's just like, John, put him down. Let's go to sleep. Shh. You know. And they're not like, now he lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord. No, that's not how it was. They're real dudes, okay? It's l real life. And they do this constantly. They're wrestling and fighting and arguing and being competitive, all of those things. Here's Jesus leading them. So they do all these amazing, amazing, amazing things with him. And then it comes to the end of Jesus' life, but they don't really understand what's going on. And we know the part where Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's, he's in this place of the deepest anguish that you could possibly imagine as he's coming to the grips or in realization that what he's about to do. Now, I don't think that Jesus the man understood fully what was going to happen. And I don't think he fully understood, or I don't think he really wanted to do it in his humanness. Because he says to the Father three times, is if there's any other way, please don't make me do this. But not my will, but yours be done. So he didn't want to, in his humanness, die on the cross. But he knew he had to. To think that he made the conscious choice to be crucified for all of mankind's salvation makes me love Jesus that much more. He didn't get crucified in his how he felt. He didn't feel like Superman. He felt every single pain, every single part of it. He had to in order to be the slain lamb. So the disciples completely fail him while he's in his greatest moment of need. They're not there. And then the soldiers come and get him. Peter cuts the dude's ear off. And it's like, Peter, puts it back on. <laughs> how many times I tell you, put the sword away. It's not how we do things. Sorry, dude, puts the ear back on. Peter's bad. And they're like, don't, don't, you're not letting him take you. I don't, what are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus willingly goes, and now it's time for the part where he's crucified. And in that moment, those that were so close to him, that could rest their head on his chest, that walked with him, one betrays him, Judas. But we, in that moment, they, they deny him with cussing and cursing. I blankety blank don't know him. After they did all of this, why? This is my opinion. But oftentimes, when things happen in our lives that we do not understand, why would you do that, God? Is when we're the most tempted to backslide and walk away in denial. When we're in pain and we can't figure out what to do or why. My story is very much that. These wrestling moments. So here were these disciples that loved Jesus very much. 
They're like, if you loved us, why would you go die? They didn't understand. In a way, they're just like, I blankety blank don't even know it. <laughs> Can't believe Jesus did this. But yet, what they didn't understand was the story's not over. He's about to take back death, hell, and the grave from Satan. He's going to come in a resurrected body. He's going to save all of humankind for the rest of all time if they choose him, that they get to have eternal life with him. Mind blown. Yeah, but they think the story's over. That Jesus. See, he goes through the most horrific thing of being crucified. And one of the part that I just moves me is in his gr Jesus' greatest hour of pain, he doesn't think about himself on the cross. He actually leans over to the guilty robber and focuses his attention on someone else, even in his greatest moment of pain. It's crazy. So we know that Jesus, he dies on the cross. He goes into the grave, but he takes back death, hell, and the grave from Satan. He's in hell. It's a real deal. Battling this thing out, taking it back. He's resurrected three days later. And there's different accounts of when Jesus comes back. And there's a number of them, but I like this one. Where, did, where were the disciples? They went right back to their old life. You guys, think about this for a second. It's a model to say something. Some of us, you know, we're like, I don't know if this is going to work. You know, these guys had three years. You have six months. But if they, we had, we know more than those disciples did in the sense of the rest of the story. The disciples were in the midst of it. They didn't know under or understand fully what was happening. So they go right back to what they were doing before. And this one account where Jesus, he's in the boat. Or no, he's on the shore. The disciples are in the boat and they're fishing. Just like bummed out, backslidden. And they look, they've heard accounts, they don't believe it. And they look and they see Jesus on the beach. And they're freaking out. Jumping in the water, trying to get, you know, all of this. But I would imagine there's this place of shame. Like last time we saw him we failed. What's he going to do? You know that feeling when you've been convicted of something, and you, or maybe you've been living in failure, and you have to approach Jesus. What's he going to do? And he opens up his arms. Bring it in, boys. Love you. And he forgives them. And they look behind him, and he had started a fire and breakfast, and he already was cooking them breakfast on the beach because he's a breakfast cooking God. And they're like, Jesus is back. Awesome, all is forgiven. You know that feeling when you finally just let it all out and you get right with God. You're like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better now. Kind of almost like on a high in the sense of like, it's a whole new world. I mean, it's just crazy, you know. So there in that moment, everything is good. Jesus is back. Okay, here we go. And then he says to them, hey guys, I'm going to go to the Father. What? It's to your advantage that I go. No, it's not. Did you see what happened last time you went? We failed. Yeah, but if I don't go to the Father, then the Helper won't come. So what? You're the Son of God. I mean, you just went and beat Satan down. I think we're good. How could that be to our... No, Jesus, stay. Yes, but if I don't go, he won't come. So it's to your advantage. It's the best thing for you that I now go, and I'm going to be with the Father. But I'm going to send the Helper, and he's going to come to you. What are you talking about? Hey, guys, all the works that I did... He who believes in me, they'll do the same thing and even more. Oh, Jesus, you must have lost your mind. More? Guys, we don't even know all that they saw. And they're coming out of their failure in that moment. 
And he says, you're going to do more than me because I'm going to go to the Father. What are you talking about? He says, I'm going to go. I mean, you're going to go into the city and you're going to wait for it. And you're being clothed with power. Huh. All right. Jesus decides to have a dramatic exit. I think this is where they get science fiction because he literally beams up into the sky. He's like going to be with the Father. Bye, Jesus. Bye, guys. I'll be back. So he goes, and they're like, Jesus is gone. You know that long walk home from the airport? Oh, man. Driving home. Your buddy just left. Whatever it is. <coughs> they're like, Jesus is going to go in the city and wait for it? I mean, last time we saw him show up, a dove flew out of the sky. And then Jesus went in the wilderness and didn't eat any food for 40 days, and Satan visited him. I don't really think this is, I don't know. What is he going to look like? Is a man going to show up? The helper? Huh. Okay. So they get 120 people. They're going to go wait in the prayer room for this Holy Spirit. <laughs> they don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know when it's going to happen. They don't know what it's, none of that. They're waiting for something that they have no idea what it would be like because it's never happened before. And now Jesus is gone and this is the moment. They say, scholars believe, about 9 a.m., somewhere earlier in the morning. They're just chilling in the prayer room, trying to focus. Oh, yes, Lord, amen. You know, they're just waiting, right? And it says, all of a sudden, not like a little bit, guys, anybody feel anything? Ooh, I think I got a goosebump. He might be coming. No, all it says, suddenly, a noise, like a violent Rushing wind. Okay, violent. Take that word right there. Gale force, hurricane, tornado, tropical storm, whatever you want to say, a violent rushing wind. Not a light breeze. Not a floaty feeling. A violent rushing wind came ripping through the house. Closed room. We're not even in a closed tent. I could see wind blowing in here really easy. But a closed room. A violent rushing wind ripped, not floated, not, you know, came in gentlemanly-like. No, ripped through the house where they're sitting. So now we have a storm inside of a building. And if that is not enough, fire bolts from heaven come out of the ceiling. Fire, tongues of fire, tongues of fire come out and begin to land, rest on their head. You know, get down. Oh, I, I don't know. Hey, if a storm suddenly happened in the tent and fire started coming out of the top of the tent, what would you do? Run, most of you. <laughs> most of you wouldn't be like, more Lord, more Lord. You'd be like, Wah! you know what I mean? <laughs> Hiding under your chairs. And, and then this is where it gets wild. So, so fire is on their heads. A storm is in the house. It's crazy. But right outside the door, there is the Jerusalem council has assembled all of these religious leaders from around the, uh, the world, but not the whole world yet, but where there are areas from different countries have all assembled for their religious meetings. And it says about noon, they think. So that means that was probably a long encounter. But the door flies open, and here they come. And they come staggering out. 
because he's like, hey, I mean, what would you do if you just had a three-hour wind firestorm? I don't know, but they must have looked a little funny because one of them, the religious leaders, goes, oh, it's only noon and you're drunk. How disgusting. And he's like, hmm. We are not drunk as you suppose. In the last days, he'll pour out his spirit in all flesh, and his sons and daughters will prophesy. He begins to preach, and something happens in the atmosphere where the Holy Spirit whoom, hits the whole place. People are instantly convicted and in turning their hearts towards Jesus. And in that moment, all of human history began to change. Right? Peter, mess up, always getting in trouble, like. The disciple we all relate to sometimes, right? Look at his life before, and then look at his life in that moment. After the Holy Spirit came, Peter was changed and went on to lead the craziest life, walking in the miracles, the signs, the wonders, all of it. All right. I know I had fun, and we'll actually read the real scriptures, but that's, I quoted most of it. Here's the thing, you guys. The, think about your backgrounds, all of this. Jesus, he saved your soul. You have forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus, the cross. You have access to eternal life. You have access to the fullness of God. He literally laid his life down for you. We have no excuses whatsoever. He died for this. He gave his only son for this. No matter your injustice, no matter your circumstance, any of that, he paid for it. And if that isn't enough, he then gives his very spirit and makes it available to all believers and says, you get to do everything that I did and more if you believe in me. He's the nicest man I know. And so you see throughout church history, especially in the very beginning when you read the book of Acts, it's crazy. And he's demonstrating all kinds of these things. It's wild. It's amazing. But over time, people get disappointed. Maybe we have expectations of things happening. And, you know, you have some leader that their daughter is dying and they pray for healing and it doesn't happen. They're like, healing isn't real. Taking that out of the book. I don't want to deal with it because I'm disappointed. You have other things that disappointment. And so they start to rewrite and re-preach what Jesus is saying. Why? Because where, what is Jesus waiting for? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's not waiting for the world to get worse and worse and worse, and now he has to come save us. He already saved us. And he's not waiting for it to get better and better and better because you read, read the end of the story. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for us to come into the understanding of who we are in him and what we have access to. So many prayers we ask God to do, he's saying, I already did it. Go walk in it. The Holy Spirit's on you. He's in you. It's not my job anymore. It's yours. You'll do what I did and more. So why would you think that, that so much of the body of Christ globally doesn't believe this? Suspicious. Well, if the church doesn't have any power, what's going to happen? Not a lot. But when the church has power, everything begins to change. And nev power never replaces love. So it's the salvation, the love of God, accompanied with the power of God. 
That is what every one of you in this room is meant to walk in. People often ask me, why do you think you were tormented for those many years? Well, Satan's worst fear is that he, I'm going to find out who I am and I'm going to become it. You know, and his greatest fear of on your life is that you actually are going to find out who you are, you're going to believe it, and then you're going to go do it. When you are convinced like that, his greatest attempts do not work. If you die, there's something, if you die doing it, it usually, the ramifications is a whole bunch more people come into the kingdom. If you die, you die. While you live, let's do this thing. So when people... One of the things that, you know, I've struggled with self-pity sometimes because of my circumstances. But really, when people come to me and they're like, <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong? <laughs> I just, Jesus doesn't love me. What? Oh, you're the one person that Jesus don't love. Who do you think you are? He can't redeem this. My God. What? You're the one for you screwed up so bad. You think you're just worse than anybody, and he can't redeem that? It's crazy talk. It doesn't even come, it doesn't make sense in my mind. This is God. Who do you think you are that you've screwed up so bad that the almighty God cannot show up, change your life, and redeem it? Whose choice is it? Yours? Like, well, why do you think he doesn't love you? <laughs> because I can't feel anything. Oh, he's a feeling? I thought the definition of love is God. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. God is not a feeling. Yes, we want to feel love, but most of the time that we don't feel love is not because God's not showing it to us, and we haven't learned how to receive it because we have walls up. Spirit, break out. Break my walls down. Spirit, break out. Break my walls down. Break our walls down so that we can experience this. No matter your personality, no matter your, where you're from, any of it, this is what we have access to. So this is one of the reasons why this is my, one of my favorite subjects to teach on. It's because I want every one of you to overcome whatever it is that's holding you back, but to receive the power for where you're going and what you're going to do. So let me actually read out of, well, not quite yet. Um, so here's the thing. So Jesus, he's at the right hand of the Father, but the Holy Spirit is here, and he has responsibilities as part of the Trinity. And one of those responsibilities is taking the place of Jesus on the earth. Jesus at the right hand, the Father in heaven, but the Holy Spirit's here doing what Jesus did while he was here, but through us. His job is showing or revealing and showing Jesus to the world. So conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. And you, so every person's had an encounter with the Holy Spirit if they're walking with Jesus because that's what conviction is. So if you felt conviction, you gave your life to Jesus, it meant that the Holy Spirit's the one that brought it. Whether it's through the preaching, someone's preaching, or whatever it might be that led you to that point, it's still the activity of the Holy Spirit. So he's revealing and showing Jesus to the world through our lives. We're the hands and feet. He's demonstrating and doing the works that Jesus did through us. You know, he does sovereign things all the time, but a lot of times he's doing it through us because his greatest desire is relationship. So in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit in the original language is called a word called parakletos. 
Um, and you, you don't have to write it down. But it's called parokletos, and that word is many, many definitions. And so Jesus is saying this is who he is. And what it means is he is the comforter. He's the standby. He's the advocate. He's the intercessor. He's the teacher. He's the friend. He's the guide. He's the counselor. He's the strengthener. He's the leader. He's the helper. And he's the partner. That is a one-packed word. This is crazy to me sometimes. Because a lot of times I go through hard things. You heard my story. He's a comforter. He comes and he brings comfort. And people are like, man, I just need somebody next to me. He's like, well, I'm your standby. I need, so I need someone to, like, defend and, and prepare a way for me. Oh, he's your advocate. Man, I need some prayer. He's your intercessor. I, I need a good teacher to teach me what this means. He's your teacher. Friends, I'm traveling all over the world. I, just need, I wish I had a friend that was everywhere with me. Oh, he's your friend. I don't know where to go. He's your guide. Lord knows I need counseling. He's your counselor. I feel so weak. He's your strengthener. I don't know about leadership. I, I just need someone to lead me. He's your leader. Help. He's your helper. I'm single. He's your partner. <laughs> He's all of those things. Realize what we have access to. Now, we need people. We need each other. Sometimes the counselors in the form, it comes through a person. Sometimes, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit ministers these things through other people. But in my relationship with him, I've experienced every single one of those things with me and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has the qualities of a person. He has a mind in Romans 8, 27. He has a will, 1 Corinthians 12, 11. He has emotions, Romans 15, 30. He speaks, Acts 13, 2. He bears witness and he testifies, John 15, 26. He prays and he makes intercession, Romans 8, 26. So he has the qualities of a person. He has a mind, will, and emotions. He speaks, he bears witness and testifies, and he prays and he makes intercession for us. Now, the Holy Spirit has the feelings of a person. He can be grieved, Ephesians 4, 30. He can be insulted, Hebrews 10, 29. He can be lied to, Acts 5, 3. He can be blasphemed, which is preached against, Matthew 12, 31. He can be resisted, Acts 7, 51. He can be vexed or made mad, Isaiah 63, 10. And he can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. So the Holy Spirit has the emotions, can relate to emotions. He has emotions of a person. He's not emotional, but he has emotions. I don't know if you've ever done something where you feel like you've just grieved the Holy Spirit, disobedience. You did something, you participated in some sin, and you feel this, oh, shouldn't have done that. Or you, maybe you said something. Have you ever just something came out of your mouth and went, wah, wah, and you're like, wish I could take that back. And it's the Holy, you're hurting the Holy Spirit's feelings because it's, contrary to who you are and who they are and who he is. So in those moments, we can be so tuned in to him that we have uh, this, he, we walk with him in this way, and he helps us in all of these things. So in the same way, you know, people are like, 
don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And they're like, everyone quiet, he's here. And I'm like, what are you going to do? Boo, and there he goes, bummer. I scared him off. Dang it, I hate when I do that. You know, he's not like that. People are like, what are you talking about? He's not easily scared. He's God. But what it really means is that he wants you to make room for him. And when the glory of God, when the increase of his presence comes, that's not a time for us to usually speak, <laughs> prophesy. Oftentimes, he's doing the ministry, and it's a moment, and we're participating with it. Sometimes it means those things, but that's when we say we make room for the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do, and we don't assume that we know. We have to ask him. Part of the ministry that I do for many, many years, people go, well, how do you know how to lead a room, and how do you know how to do that? I'm constantly saying, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? How do I come into agreement with the Father? What does this want to look like? And sometimes I've been in rooms where the room is like, let's party in the Holy Spirit. And he's like, that's not what I want to do. Like, man, I'm going to be the biggest buzzkill in this prayer room ever. He goes, yeah, but if you take him deep, I'll do da 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 I'm like, hey, guys, I know you want to sing Your Love is Like a Freight Train right now. But um, <laughs> I'm going to shift it up a little bit because you don't need the party Right now, you need the depth, or vice versa. You know, sometimes it's like the dirge is playing. And he's like, somebody around here needs to just put a smile on their face, you know. So I am responsible. And I don't know, it's not my opinion. I'm trying to ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to do. There's a lot of meetings that I've led, but that's not what I would have done. That's not my style, It's not, but it's not about me in that moment. It's about what the room wants. I mean, about what Jesus wants for the room, not what the room wants or what I want. So we have to let go of our styles and come in. We have to be moldable and flexible of how we minister in those times. So the Holy Spirit is a divine person and dwelling in the Christian and working within us to fulfill the will of God. So he saves us, and then he calls us to do something that's impossible. Think about what, when you think of the wildest dreams of what you could do in God. In and of yourself, it's impossible to do. Would you agree? But then he gives you the power to do the impossible through the Holy Spirit. And without him, you actually cannot fulfill the will of God on your life. No Christian can fulfill the fullness of what God has called them to do without the help and power of the Holy Spirit. One of the greatest things that we need to understand and possess is our personal relationship with the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, to actually really know him. You know, we see these different symbols in the word of different things that the Holy Spirit represents. We see in John 7, 38 and 39, he's represented as water which is like that life-giving flow. And he's like water, refreshing us. We see him as a fire. Um, he comes in the form of fire with his Matthew 3.11, Acts 2.3, which is like the holiness of God. It's funny in certain charismatic circles, whatever, people run around, they're like, fire, fire, fire of God. I'm like, you realize what you're saying? You're saying, burn me up, God, holiness, purifying. I don't know. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. You know what I'm saying? So, like, if you're trying to, like, fire over here, I'm like, I wouldn't do that if I was you. He's represented as the wind or breath of God, which is new life, revival, renewal, inspiration. That's in Acts 2-2, John 3-8. We see him, like, as oil, which represents the anointing. Psalms 92-10, Luke 4-18, Acts 10-38. Again, you can get all my notes online. He, we see him in the form of a dove, which is that purity and that peace of God, Matthew 3.16 and Luke 3.22. And then we see him as the finger of God, 
which is which represents power and that points to specific areas of our life. Luke eleven twenty, Matthew twelve twenty eight. So we have him as water, fire, wind, oil, dove, the finger of God. Now this is why we should never compare our experience to somebody else's. So in a room like this, trust me, in a couple, an hour and a half, we're going to have a ministry time. And a whole bunch of people are going to have different types of encounters with God. Now, there will be some commonality to it where some of you will have, many of you will have the same type of experience, but some of you won't. So, like, I'll be leading a room. I, I'm, I started ministry night here like 10 years ago and passed it on to the next generation to lead it. But that's what I used to do here on the campus a lot. Every Monday, I led ministry night. And so in this, you know, the Holy Spirit increases in the room. And I'm like, over there, I just see people. It looks like they are in the river. I mean, water, life-giving flow. They're getting encouraged. And then right over there, I'm like, oh, fire of God. That guy's getting convicted, burning up, you know, anointing on him. I'm like, whoop, there the wind is the wind of the Holy Spirit. Their revival is happening to them, like, Oh, behind me here, oil, anointing, all right. There's the peace, and you just see this person, it's like the peace, and the guy next to him is the finger of God convicted to the core. And you're like, this is chaos. He is not a God of chaos. No, he's not confused, nor does he think he's in chaos. Sometimes we do, but he ain't. Because why would he do the same exact thing for every person? He's a God that gives us what we need, not what we want. So there's so many times that I'm going down the ministry line, you know. And sometimes I get that guy who's like, come on, bring it. Whoa, bro, you know. And he's like, I want the fire of God. God, so mad. And I'm like, peace. <laughs> no, honey, you need the dove right now. Just trust me on this. I want the fire. And I'm like, peace. And then they're like, ah. And they go into the, some inner healing moment so they can actually carry the fire, you know. But then I go down this, like, this, like, you know, not even five-foot girl that was raised, you know, her dad's, the, you know, a Southern Baptist pastor and all this. And she's like, I'll take the dove, please, you know. And you're kind of coming down the line. And I'm like, I'm very gentle. But I'm like, okay, let's just ask him to come. And then watch her consumed with the fire of God where she begins to fully vibrate under the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. next why it's not my decision nor is it yours it's your decision to say god all that you are i want but he does different things at different times in your life i've encountered the holy spirit in all of these ways and he i just want him to do what he wants to do i want a fire of god inside of me i want to carry peace i want to do all of those things but when you're in the prayer line or you're in the room and you're like Listen, I'm, we're banning self-pity today, okay? It just, nobody got time for that. So, he's real. You just choose him. But there's a statue of a person. And then there's somebody that's, you know, shaking like something crazy has happened. And they're like, why are I shaking? And I guess he doesn't love you the same. <laughs> Did you read your Bible today? That's why. <laughs> right? The things we think. No, he doesn't do that. You obviously, well, there could be a block there because you're more focused on your buddy, but or a few other things. Comparison kills revival. It really does. 
because you're trying to match something or be. Listen, you have to come into, the, we're teaching identity in a lot of these weeks. You have to believe I am loved by God. And I, he wants to encounter me more than I want to encounter him. And he's more committed to my highest calling than I could ever be. If I fall, I fall. If I shake, I shake. If I stand there like a statue, whatever, you are God. And I'm going to carry your glory however it comes. So he's all of these things because that's what they need. Man, I got some stories of the wildest things that you would not believe of when the Holy Spirit shows up in, the, in boardrooms of businessmen, on you know, professional athletes to you should watch an, the Amish get lit up. It is wild. Good times. <laughs> Good times. All right. So the Holy Spirit, we're going to end with this, and then we'll take a break. The Holy Spirit wants to aid you, assist you, help you, guide you, lead you, give you revelation of Scripture, release his gifts through you, give you boldness, teach you, strengthen you, refresh you, empower you, anoint you, protect you, fellowship with you, help you pray, give you rest, give you wisdom, reveal Jesus in your life, be your friend and comfort you. People are like, I just need Jesus. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I'm thinking, "Mm mm-mm, what are you going to do? How's that working out? He's doing all of these things. How, why would we reject that? Okay. See, again, he wants to do all of those. He is such a good God. Let's take a break, and we'll come back. It'll be really helpful for me because of how much content. Can you all be in your seats at 930? Can you do that for me? All right. All right, let's get into this again. If everyone can uh, cease your conversations. And we will jump back in so we can get this done. All right. You guys have a good break? So, so far, I mean, I've been definitely talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. But more than anything, I've been teaching on the person of the Holy Spirit. Um, And we're going to move into a couple other things in just a minute. But I kind of left off just about what the Spirit wants to help us do, what the Holy Spirit wants to help us do. And in the same way, we can't effectively love God or walk in love without the Holy Spirit helping us. In Romans 5, 5, you know, people will come and say, Amy, you're so loving. How do you love people so well? I'm like, well, I don't know that Amy herself is that way as much as it is the Holy Spirit through me. So then you get to, I can't love like he would love without the Holy Spirit's help. I can't love God like I meant to without him helping me. And I can't obey God without the Holy Spirit helping me in 1 Peter 1.22. I'm not able to worship God to its fullness without the Holy Spirit helping me, Philippians 3.3 and John 4.24. I can't pray effectively without the Holy Spirit, Romans 8.26 and Jude 20. I can't preach God's word with anointing, 1 Peter 1.12, without the Holy Spirit. I can't witness for Jesus and reach the lost without the Holy Spirit, Acts 1.8. Without the Holy Spirit, I surely can't cast out demons, Matthew 12.28. I can't have true biblical joy, which is not an emotion, it's a fruit of the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit helping me, Romans 14.17. And I cannot have victory over my flesh without the help of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.16. So I need him to do all of those things. In the New Testament commands us to do some things. It doesn't suggest we do them. It commands us to walk in the spirit, 
be filled with the Spirit, live in the Spirit, be led and guided by the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit, to minister under the anointing of the Spirit, to be operating the gifts of the Spirit, to worship in the Spirit, to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, to experience the communion of the Spirit, and always my favorite, to sing in the Spirit. It doesn't say if you feel like it, if you believe in it. It says this is what you're meant to do. It's a command of the Lord to interact with him with the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus, the Son of God, needed the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need it? Jesus, the Son of God, <laughs> needed this. Man, I need it that much more. So we're meant to have communion with the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that we spend time in the presence of the Holy Spirit. We experience and carry that presence on our life. People are like, well, how do you grow in this? It, you, never, you, you never say, I'm not going to read my Bible right now. I'm only going to, you know, sit before the Holy Spirit. Like, it's the Word and the Spirit, just so you know, it's never been separated by God. People sometimes try to, but uh, it's not. So you need both, but it, sometimes it's that place of where I'm constantly asking the Holy Spirit questions. That's how I learn a lot of things, but that's how I know what he wants to do is because I'm asking him questions. But it means that we spend time in his presence. It means fellowship, this, and that's spending time together. It means sharing together, talking things over. I guess I have conversations with the Lord. Well, what do you think about that? Well, that's not what I was thinking, but good to know. You know, like he has a different way of thinking about things than I do. And that's the thing, if I did it my way, we would not have a very good time sometimes. But his way is so much higher than ours. It means partnership, participating with the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of times where you're asking God to do something. He's like, I'm trying through you. How do you participate with him? When he says, share this word, pray for that sick person, encourage that person, serve in this way, you're participating, you're partnering with the Holy Spirit. It means intimacy, getting closer to God. It means friendship. He is your loyal friend, sticking closer than a brother. He's your command. He's, it's commandership in that he's the governor, commander, captain, and ruler in the sense that he rules, directs, and governs your life. You know, this is a little pause moment, but, you know, different generations have different strengths and different weaknesses. You know, the thing is that you don't in the kingdom necessarily have a right to your opinion. So we, you know, this generation is one of the most opinionated generations that ever was. But this is the thing is that most of the time you're going to have to surrender your opinion to actually receive God's. So when we hang on to the right to our opinion, we're never going to hear God's dream, desire, or his opinion because we're so dogmatic about ours. So there's so many things where I'm like, that would not be my opinion. He proves me wrong all the time. So we have to surrender those things to actually be able to participate with him because his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Okay. So everything that I have said so far about these things is what every single Christian has access to the moment they become saved. So every Christian that's a follower of Jesus has had the activity of the Holy Spirit in their life because that's where conviction comes from. So when you are saved, you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you get the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit is a part of that. You don't just get Jesus and not the Holy Spirit and not God. They come together. So even people that go, 
I don't believe in the Holy Spirit and what he does. I'm like, oh, he's with you. He's, you might not like it, but he's there anyway. You know, sometimes I'm just like, hmm, ha-ha, he's still with you. Okay? He is. So in that, all of those things that he wants to aid you, help you, assist you, guide you, that's every believer gets that, no matter your denomination, all of that. That's a part of our relationship with Jesus. That's how we walk with God. Now, this is where it gets a little different. And I know, again, all of the different, usually, belief systems in the room, because I've been doing this for a while, is that there's a separate experience following salvation. It's called the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to break it down and explain all of it, and maybe we'll have some time for questions. So, every person has the Holy Spirit, but not every person has had the experience of being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit in the release of his power. So let me explain this. So the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural equipping with power from heaven to empower the Christian for effective witness and service. So in the word of God, it talks about people that become followers of Jesus. They repent of their sins. They turn from their ways and they follow Jesus. It doesn't say that they prayed a special prayer. You have to understand that the prayer doesn't save you. His blood that he shed on the cross, when we say, I am no longer living for myself, I am becoming a follower of Jesus, I repent of my sin, and I'm turning completely around, and he is now is the Lord of my life. I am not the Lord. His opinion, not my opinion. His ways, not my ways. He is my Lord, he is my Savior, he's the lover of my soul. So there's no such thing as the sinner's prayer in the Bible, though that's not wrong, but it doesn't tell you exactly what to do. It just says, repent of your sins and follow Jesus, okay? So in that same way, well, let me, let me go into Acts 2. I had, I had fun with you earlier, but I'll actually read straight up Acts 2, the story of the day of Pentecost. So Acts 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues of fire distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Acts 1.8 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. So the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do the works that Jesus did on the earth. And he says, go and do what I did and even more. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's saying, with the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have heard people preach the gospel on a street corner or somewhere and you're like, ugh. They sound angry. You're like, I don't think no one's going to get saved. That guy's preaching. Why? It's because he's not preaching in the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the enemy knows the word. You know, so, but I'm not saying that they're the enemy. But if you are doing this without the love of God and the power of God, it doesn't, it falls on deaf ears in a sense. They can't, it's not the same. But someone that's full, no matter if they're stuttering, but the Holy Spirit is upon them and they get out a few words, the power comes. And its conviction hits that person listening to him, not because they're afraid of going to hell. It's because they just had an encounter with something that is opening their eyes to see, I need to get saved. So you can preach God's word without anointing. Nothing's really going to happen. But you preach God's word with anointing, and 
that's where real transformation and we see salvation come. So Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the baptism or infilling of the Holy Spirit will give you the power to do the works that Jesus did. It will give you the anointing and the spiritual enablement to move in the gifts of the Spirit. Now tomorrow, I'm going to teach on the nine gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to teach on the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge and discerning of spirits, faith, healing, and miracles, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. I'm going to explain each one of them and over the next two days help you understand that as well. So once you become baptized, you receive that power in the Holy Spirit, then you are able to then operate in one or all nine of those gifts, depending on how the Lord decides. Now, for all of those, especially the um, Europeans in the room, so when I use the word baptized, I'm not talking about water, okay? Water baptism is different than what I'm talking about right now. And the reason that we use that word is, it's, that's why I use two different words, baptism or infilling, is it's like when the word baptize, baptismo, actually means to be dipped in or dipped under. So completely submerged and come out. So when it says they baptize them in water, that's what they're talking about. When it says they're baptizing in the spirit, think of, because of one of the things about the Holy Spirit, he's like water, like a river, all of that, is that you're completely submerged and saturated with the power of the Holy Spirit. It comes upon you and in you in a different way than it was before. So water baptism is a separate experience than what I'm talking about right now. People often ask me, do you have to be baptized to be saved? No. Baptism doesn't save you. Following Jesus saves you. Receiving him as your Lord and Savior. Baptism is powerful. It is meant to happen. This is why they modeled it in the Bible. So the actual baptism in water is a very much important part. We here at YWAM, because we have so many denominations, we're not trying to baptize people here, any of that. You know, it's a case-by-case -case thing. Baptism is great. Um, but it's not what I'm talking about right now. So oftentimes I get a lot of questions about that. Do you have to be baptized in water before you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit? No. You know, so it... I hope you can understand, and if we have questions, I'll take those. So, through the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we receive God's power to heal the sick, cast out demons, do supernatural miracles, witness and win the lost, boldly preach the gospel, and flow in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. You shall receive power. So we need to be clothed in power because religion cannot set our generation free from the demonic works of the devil. We need Holy Spirit power. We need love. But we need Holy Spirit power. What, what is, you know, what are, why would God want us to flow in his power? And this is the thing, and I'm going to teach on the gifts tomorrow. It's not about you in that moment. Everything else I've taught about is about you, about your relationship with him. He wants to aid you, assist you, guide you. He's your friend. He's your comforter. He's all of those things. But the power that comes upon you isn't for you just to have power. Look at me. Look what I can do. <laughs> like, to make you, it's not about identity. Your identity is the first part that I talked about. This is what he wants to, but the power is for you to do what you're called to do. It's for the works that God has called you to walk in, for the things that he's called you to do. So why does he want to give us this power? So that we can release his love and compassion by meeting the needs of suffering humanity. The sick, the lost, the possessed, the oppressed, the afflicted, and the hopeless. When power shows up, something changes so that we can meet the needs supernaturally that we cannot do in and of ourselves. So in one moment, he can change everything. This isn't about us and having, you know, I've arrived now because I'm walking in power. And this is, this is not about me. 
This is about what I'm called to do. It's about being the hands and feet of Jesus, the heart of Jesus. He gives us that power to evangelize and reach the unreached. Truly, it, there's a something that comes in that place of power to evangelize like we've never had before. He gives us that power to destroy the works of the enemy and set people free from bondage and demonic forces and to supernaturally build up, strengthen, and edify his church, no matter what sphere you're called to to do that in. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a separate experience following salvation, and I'm going to read the scripture for all of you, especially that really want to understand this theologically. Let's go to Acts 8, verse 12 through 17. And it says, When they believed Philip, preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and in the name of Jesus, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Pause. So we're talking about water right here. They were baptized in water. And the reason that it says men and women alike is because of the day that you're reading this in. The context of God wanted to make sure that, peop- that un- people understood that salvation and baptism in water was for men and women, not just men. And then for children as well. So this is why he's saying it this way. So we're talking about water baptism. So that means when someone in the, wor- in the Bible times would give their life to Jesus, the very next thing is they would be baptized as an outward sign of an inward conversion of saying, I'm dying to my old man, and I'm raising a new in Christ. I'm a new creature, new creation. Uh, I'm born again. And that's what that baptism in water signifies. And so every time we see water baptism in the New Testament, it's related to people becoming followers of Jesus. So verse 13, even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized in water, he continued on with Philip. And as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, which would be the preaching of the gospel, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not fallen upon any of them yet. They just had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Okay. So the gospel was preached in Samaria, but the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet, hadn't fallen on them yet. So they sent them to apostles. They sent them Peter and John, who went down there and said, they've just simply been saved. Awesome. But they haven't got the Holy Spirit yet. So they began to lay hands on them, and they started to receive the Holy Spirit. That means it's a separate experience. Now, around here, we like to give people the full meal deal all at once. Get them saved, baptized in water, and baptized in the Holy Spirit all in the same hour. Okay, you don't have to arrive to a place of being mature enough to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Children are baptized in the Holy Spirit all day long. In fact, they walk in a lot more power than we do sometimes because they have childlike faith. So it has nothing to do with your maturity, how, how well you're doing, anything like that. It's in the same way that salvation is a free gift, so is this. But a lot of people, they're like, well, I've been walking this my whole life. Awesome. You were in an environment where this was just part of it and... You just, you're like, I've been doing this for a long time. But you may not understand the purposes of it sometimes, which is why I'm teaching on it. But some of you are like, so you're telling me that I don't have the power Um, because I haven't done this yet. I'm like, well, you tell me. Are you seeing the sick healed and the possessed set free? And are you seeing salvations on a regular basis? And are you hearing God's, you know, you tell me. I'm not going to be like, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, It's not for me to judge, but you would know if you're walking in this or not. Now, some of you said, man, I pray for this, but I am not seeing that either. 
That just means that you have this, but you have to press into it. It's like you have to step out in faith and begin to walk in the things that God has called you to walk in. So, in all of these things, what I'm saying is that it, it is a separate experience following salvation, whether it happens in the same hour or 50 years later. In this very tent, there was a woman that was probably in her 70s that I was teaching not that long ago, and she comes up to me, and she's weeping, and she says, I have prayed for this my whole Christian life for 40 years, and I've never gotten it. And I'm thinking, that doesn't quite sound right to me because I believe that when you ask, you receive. And I said, okay, well, can you just ask one more time with me? I held her hands. We prayed. Oh, that lady lit up like a Christmas tree. I mean, something just shifted and changed. And But the gratefulness and the joy that she had, right? So sometimes in these ebbs and flows of things is that I don't know, like, there are many people are going to receive and they're going to have an experience in just a minute. And then there's some of you that won't feel necessarily anything, or but it's a place of faith. Of like, I believe that when I ask, I receive. Why? Because he's a good father. Now, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is a free gift available for every Christian and is received by faith. How did you know if you got it? Well, how did you know you were saved? Some of you are going to like, I know I got it because I just got about 110 degrees and I fell on the floor. You know, stuff like that, where then you're like, uh, something happened that has never happened to me before. And then some of you are like, well, I'm not really sure, but I love him. I'm going to walk out in this. I believe, right? The Lord Jesus Christ is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit, Matthew 3.11. So he's the one, if I lay hands on you, it's not Amy, it's Jesus through me releasing this upon you that you get to receive. So... Jesus promised all believers rivers of living water, the Bible experience of being baptized in the Holy Spirit, John 7, 38. So receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit is accompanied by the believer speaking in tongues. Dun, 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 dun. Acts 10, 44 through 46. Acts 19, 6. Now, that tongues thing, you know, like, I'm good with everything else, but you say tongue, mm-mm. Right? I get that a lot. Because for a few different reasons. One, they, you might be like, it just freaks me out. It's weird. Some people are like, well, my, I've been in a church where they preached against it, and I was told it's the devil. I get that. That would be a hard one to overcome. You're like, I don't want that devil tongues. You know, there's all kinds of things that people have in their mind. Or you ask for the, Holy, you ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and some well-meaning stupid person did something weird. Let me out of them. Right? You felt manipulated, pressured, that they weren't kind or gentle or anything. And you're like, uh-uh. I'm so sorry if that happened to you. It's not okay. But that's not how we are going to roll today. Okay? So there's no pressure in this room to speak in tongues. If you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. I don't really care, but I want you to receive the power. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not about speaking in tongues. It's about receiving the power to do the works that Jesus did. And you get to speak in tongues. So if you don't, you don't. If you do, you do. It has amazing benefits, and I'm going to tell you what they are. But you have to understand, I'm saying this right now, again, that if you reduce the baptism of the Holy Spirit to a prayer language, you've missed the whole point. So if that's hard for you, shelf it and go after the power, and one day you'll probably speak in tongues. But if you don't, I don't care. So speaking in tongues isn't directly related to whether you get to walk in power or not, all right? You know, I used to be a part of a denomination that I actually resigned from and got reordained because they actually preached that you have to speak in tongues in order to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the reason is, it's because in most 
situations, that's the first thing that's a visible sign. Okay? So it's called in theological terms the initial physical evidence. So it's usually you in that moment, I'm going to pray for you today. I don't know if you're going to see the sick healed. Like we're not praying for the sick. Do you know what I mean? It's not that moment. We're oftentimes the first thing that's a visible sign is that people begin to pray in a prayer language. Now, let me talk about what that is. Here's what the New Testament preaches, though. It wasn't a one-time event on the day of Pentecost. But on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 believers that were filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues. Acts 2.4. Eight years after Pentecost, the new converts in Samaria received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Acts 8.12-19. The believers at Samaria received the baptism in the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. Although tongues is not mentioned, we know that Simon saw supernatural evidence that the new converts had received the Holy Spirit. At Damascus, three days after being born again, Paul received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. Three days after being born again. Acts 9, 17. Paul received the baptism of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands. And although tongues is not mentioned in that scripture, we know clearly from other scriptures that he did speak in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, 18. Ten years after Pentecost... Cornelius and the Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, Acts 10, 44 through 46. So Cornelius and his household received the Holy Spirit by the hearing the preaching of the word of God. And 20 years after Pentecost, the believers at Ephesus received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, Acts 19, 6. So these disciples at Ephesus received the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands, spoke in tongues, and prophesied. It wasn't a one-time event on the day of Pentecost. This is 20 years we see in scripture alone, and this has been going on since the day of Pentecost, somewhere in the world, and it's increasing right now like never before, where the church is rising up and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they're not basing it off a denomination. They're saying, hey, I just, you know, it's like you go to certain countries, and you're like, listen, I just need God. I need him now, and I don't have time to theologically debate this, show up, and you're like, well, he showed up, but maybe I won't tell my leaders that uh, I just saw five blind people healed because they don't believe miracles are for today, but, well, they see now. You know, sometimes I'm, like, amazed by people, and I'm like, well, what do you think? Who's doing all this? Satan? You think Satan's healing and setting people free so that they become followers of Jesus? That doesn't make any sense. Logically, it doesn't make sense. Now, if they're being healed and all this stuff, and then they don't become followers of Jesus, and it's leading to cults and weird stuff, and it's not about, then we would have a different issue. But the masses of people that are coming into faith with the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is like never before in all of human history, the amount of people that are being added to the kingdom daily, and a lot of it is even around the kingdom advancing with signs, wonders, and miracles. So he wouldn't do it, and like Satan's not going to drive everyone to heaven. Do you know what I'm saying? So like, well... Listen, guys, I might be able to talk you out of, I might be able to pray for you and talk you out of a headache. But I can't make the blind see, and I cannot make the deaf hear, and I cannot make the lame walk. He either does it or he doesn't, right? I can't manipulate things to make me feel special. Do you know, you know what I mean? There's, there's fake stuff out there, but the, ma the mass majority of it's the real deal. Okay, we can talk more about that tomorrow. So why do we speak in tongues? Speaking in tongues is a supernatural means of direct communication with God. Okay, speaking in tongues is you speaking out in a language that you do not know and do not understand. For all of you that do it, you're like, I know. For those that you don't, you're like, that doesn't make sense. Nope, it doesn't. That's why it's supernatural. So, I'm going to say this. It doesn't take over your mouth. 
you're like, what's going on? You know, and you're like, I my lips are moving, but my, you know, I, you have to make a conscious choice to speak it out, just like you do speaking. So people are like, well, I'm waiting for something to take my mouth over and hear sounds coming out of it, but my brain's going, what is that, right? No, it'd be like you talking and not knowing it. Like, why am I talking? Like, you know, disconnect. Your brain is a part of it in the sense of it doesn't formulate the words, but it chooses to speak it out in faith, and then the words come. All right? So some people have sensations. They have different things, but not all people do. It's simply like, all right, just speak it out. People ask me, well, what if you make it up? Well, don't. But I just think God is so good, he'd probably turn it into your prayer language. You know, don't try to copy what you've heard or something like that. You know, if I start hearing bought a Suzuki, should have bought a Honda, I'd be a little bit worried. <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, um, you don't say hallelujah, hallelujah, halleluah real fast until you love That's not tongues. You know, don't repeat after somebody. Some Scooby Dooby Doo, you know, those sorts of things. I'm like, hmm. I've seen it all, guys. I have seen it all. What are you doing? You know, somebody trying to lead someone, and I'm just like, stop it. He's a little bit bigger than that. But why do we do this? Like, what's the point? Why do I need it? So, again, it's direct communication with God. 1 Corinthians 14 2. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. Let me pause for a minute again. Tomorrow, I'm going to teach on the gift of tongues, which is one of the nine gifts of the spirit. The gift of tongues and just having a personal prayer language are different. Okay? Here's what I mean. Every person in this room can hear the voice of God. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. You can. Most of you believe that or all of you believe that. As a Christian, you have access to do that. So if you all can hear the voice of God, you can all hear the voice of God for the person sitting next to you. Right? You can ask the Lord what he wants to say, and you can hear it. But that doesn't mean you have the gift of prophecy. So the person specifically with those three gifts, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues, and the way that I have studied this and understand it, it's how it's used. It's in a public way, in a public assembly, or in a, you're delivering something. Right? I can hear God all day long, but I'm not. It's how I use those things, what God has called me to do with it. So somebody that has the gift of tongues would obviously have a prayer language, but they would release a word in a public way to either a person or a group of people, the word in tongues. And not, most people are not called to do that. Some people are. And then the person with the gift of interpretation of tongues would then get up and give the room the meaning or the sense of what they were saying. And I'll explain this more tomorrow. So not every person has the gift of tongues, but every person has access to having a prayer language in God. How do we know that? Because if somebody was speaking in tongues to a room of people, they'd be speaking to men, right? They're delivering a word and people are listening. But right here it says, for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Because no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So I believe that we have access to a personal prayer language that we use in our personal life. And then some of people are called to use that in a public way. Speaking in tongues enables us to intercede effectively for ourselves and for others according to the will of God. 
Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness, for we don't know what we should pray for. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now here, groanings is not tongues. Um, that's a whole other thing. But uh, in that sense, I, I'm not saying thus saith the Lord is what this means. But in that place, is, I don't know what I should pray for. So groanings in that place, I pray in the Spirit. Because he knows the mind and the heart. And so he, Jesus is an intercessor. He's interceding for us. But the Spirit begins to pray through me. And I partner with the Holy Spirit for regions and nations and things in my personal life, in the prayer room, that kind of a thing. So it helps us to intercede effectively because we're partnering with the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues enables the, or gives us the ability to worship the Lord in an unlimited way. 1 Corinthians 14.5, John 4.24. Um, you know, in our personal worship life with God, as we spend time with him, you know, sometimes I'm like, I don't know what I should sing anymore. But in that place, you can begin to sing in the spirit. You sing in tongues. It's really amazing. There's times where I've had times of just starting out five minutes in. I cannot believe the transformation of my attitude or my heart just by doing this. It's, it's quite astounding. And the way that I say it is just try it out and see what happens. So... Speaking in tongues is a supernatural means of edifying and building ourselves up spiritually. It keeps our spirit strong in God. 1 Corinthians 14.4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Jude 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now that word is not translated tongues, but how whatever that means for you, you're praying in the Holy Spirit. All right, speaking in tongues helps us to effectively resist temptation and overcome the flesh. Galatians 5, 16, 525. So how do we know this? This is fruit over time. So I always tell young people, it's, try this as your purity plan. Every time you get tempted to look at pornography or do something you shouldn't, pray in tongues for 10 minutes. I bet it leaves. You know, if every single time that the enemy tempted you, it caused you to run to the holy of holies, he would quit chasing you there. Every time, if every time the enemy came to tempt you and caused you to run into God, the Holy of Holies, the enemy would quit chasing you there. He's a liar. He's a tempter. He tempted Jesus. Jesus didn't sin. He didn't give in to the temptation. Caused him to run to his father. So the issue isn't that you have a tempter. The issue is if you give in to the temptation. Speaking in tongues helps you with that. Speaking in tongues brings about spiritual refreshing, renewal, and rest for the weary. It's like a power nap sometimes. I'm not a good napper. I wake up more tired than I was when I went to sleep. So I'm like, well, five minutes of tongues, here we go. Like sometimes that's the case. Speaking in tongues causes the gifts and power and anointing of God to be released in your life. John 7, 38, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. I've had to do some pretty crazy stuff in my day already, whether it's preaching to, you know, 6,000 people, 7,000 people at a time or having to do deliverance or whatever it might be, give a word to a government official, whatever it might be. And beforehand, I'm, I'm scared. Now, I don't have fear, but I'm scared. There's a difference. And uh, fear will stop you. Scared is a normal human feeling. And then I pray in the spirit before, and I can feel the power of God. If it's a prophecy situation, I can all of a sudden, whoom, 
I can feel the word of God come upon me for that moment. Or if it's a freedom situation, the power of God, or if it's a preaching, depending what it is, it unlocks the gifts of God suddenly in me. And it's like I'm clothed with that power again as I move into whatever it is that God has called me to do in that moment. So speaking in tongues unlocks and unleashes the rivers of supernatural power in the life of the believer. It's, direct, it's supernatural communication with God. It's divine means of spiritual edification, and it helps us overcome the flesh. It gives us spiritual refreshing and enables us to pray God's will. It releases an unlimited flow of worship to God and opens the doors of the spirit. And there's many people that speak in tongues and don't realize what it's for. And then there's many people that don't and didn't realize what it's for. So maybe you do, maybe you don't realize it, but I wanted to help you out. So, and if you, you do, then being conscious of what this is for. Why did he give us this prayer language? Again, we are, we are very heady people a lot. Like, so it gives us the ability to connect our spirits with God's spirit in a way that isn't just about our mind, but it's really about that connection that's supernatural. My mind gets in the way all the time, right? My reasons, my doubt, my unbelief, or my opinions, how I think it's going to work. I'm a planner, so it's like I already thinking through all the implications. But when you don't know what you're saying, you can't really do that. It's like this connection that begins to happen. Now, you only you only need to uh, you only need to have a translation or interpretation not translate an interpretation of tongues when it's directed at a group of people or person. If it's in a personal prayer time with God, you obviously don't need to know what that is. So around here, we are a mission that believes in the power of the Holy Spirit. We preach about this. Obviously, I'm here doing this. We don't mandate it. Rarely, you rarely hear it publicly um, only because, or from the stage, only because of all the different people that are in the room and honoring all those things, though it has happened and sometimes does, where there needs to be tongues and interpretation. And so in this place, in these school environments and prayer room environments, when the person leading it says, everyone that prays in the spirit, pray in the spirit. Well, it's appropriate at that point, if you do, that you can pray in, in your prayer language because no one needs to understand what each other is saying. We're just all praying out loud at once. It's like if they say everyone pray Korean style, you know, we all pray out loud at once. No one's listening to each other. We're just praying. So in that case, in this atmosphere, saying those things is appropriate to say, okay, Right now, we're going to pray for this person, and we're all going to pray in our prayer language. If you have one, if you don't, that's fine. That's what we're going to do. So that's why we don't need an uh, interpretation, because it's not directed at anyone. Okay? Now, I would never walk into a Baptist church and be like, you know, because that would really freak them out, probably make them mad, and think I'm a crazy person. Right? So I speak in every kind of thing you could imagine. Um, and a, I would rare in most of those environments, I don't speak in tongues out loud because I don't want to cause confusion, fear before I get the message out for them to really understand it. Now, when I'm in some foreign country on a train all by myself and nobody knows what I'm saying anyway, let it rip. Okay? <laughs> so it's where am I at? And what does love look like? What does honor look like? What does freedom look like? So I'm constantly asking, this is not about my right to speak in tongues anytime and anywhere. I, you know, people are like, I'm going to take on that religious spirit. Shock it. I'm like, you're another form of a religious spirit. Okay. What takes out the religious spirit? Love. Not you being super spiritual. It's not. 
us being super spiritual does not offend the Holy Spirit. I mean, it does not offend the enemy, a religious spirit. Love does. So what does love look like? I've seen so many people that think they're just, I am taken down. I'm going to show them. I'm like, oh, God. How's that working out for you? You don't have any friends, and you never get to speak anywhere because <laughs> you're not representing the kingdom. Now, there are time and a place that I'm telling you, you forget yourself, and there it comes. So, you know, we've had hilarious situations of people, you know, my, one of my, you know, in the hospital, different things. Yeah, one dude passes out, and his mom's like, Shut right up, I mean, just, and she forgets herself, and, you know, people are all around. We've had many situations where the suddenly no one's going to care anyway because we're in a very serious situation, and it is what it is. But I'm usually aware of my surroundings. Is this appropriate? Is this, this going to release the kingdom, and what does love look like? So what I am talking about today is your personal prayer language with God, and then some of you tomorrow may have also the gift of tongues, which is used in the assembly or in a group of people in, in a community. So again, being baptized and being clothed with, filled up to overflowing, being fully covered with, being overwhelmed by, are to be dipped under. Ephesians 5.8.10, be filled with the Spirit. This means to be filled so full there's no empty place in us. It also means to be continually filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. We give up our, our say, you're my leader, you're my guide. The promise of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for every born-again Christian. So I want so people ask me, well, what if I've already prayed for this and I speak in tongues? I'm like, well, you've already received it. Oh, bummer. I want it again, you know. Be continually filled. You got it the first time, but it's like salvation. You got it the day you asked for it, but for the rest of your life, you get to walk it out, right? So in that same way, when we're talking about you receive something from the Holy Spirit, but you get to walk this out for the rest of your life. And the funnest part of it is, is you'll have many more encounters in your life. You'll have many more moments where you'll even be like, I feel like I'm born again again. Which is awesome to think, you know, he did this, and if he never did anything again, he still saved me. Everything else is a bonus. You, you understand. So even this place of we're going to pray in a minute, some people will get this for the first time. Other people... You're like, I've been doing this for a long time. But pray for a fresh infilling, a fresh baptism. I'm always like, I want all of you and more of you. And I surely know I don't have all of that yet. I haven't experienced you to the depths that I know that I can. So it's not a hunger for power. It's a hunger for him that releases power. Yeah? So that's what I, we want to go after today. And again, I said this before, but we want to focus too, on the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire. So Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16 says that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. We're not to be afraid of the whole package. Okay? Now some people are like, man, what if I get deceived? You think the Lord sent you here to be deceived? I mean, you gotta, how do people get deceived? By following people and not following God. Right? So you don't follow people because they have power. You follow people because they have fruit. So what? look at the fruit of their life, not the gifts and power of their life. So in that place, well, a five million person mission movement, I think, is fruitful. Every nation on earth, hmm, probably fruitful. Right? Not saying you don't ever once in a while get some weirdo and why I'm saying something they shouldn't. But in this place, is we, this has been over <laughs> lots of years. And so what you can't be afraid of the whole package. It's like this. Okay, I want this part of God, but not this part. Okay, give me this, but don't get, who do you think you are? 
right? You're like, you can't pick and choose, choose your own adventure with God. I'll take the dove, but not the fire. Thank you. Like, think about when we say that. Well, this part's okay, but not that part. We're talking about the whole gospel. We're preachers of the simple whole gospel. But it's even though it's simple, it's still whole. Okay. So what we yield to is what we operate in. So in other words, what we give ourselves over to is what comes out of us. We give ourselves over to anger, anger comes out. We give ourselves over to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit comes out. Fire will change ungodly passions to godly passions. A lot of times I've seen that when people experience this, their ability to overcome things goes to a completely different level because they're using their prayer language in that way. They're going actively pursuing uh, who God is in a whole new way. And so I've seen a lot of people that deal with addiction or certain things they just can't seem to overcome. One encounter with God, and all of a sudden they're able to do what they couldn't have done before. It's that cleansing, jealous love of God. It's just passion in its seal. So the purpose of being baptized in the Holy Spirit again is the power to live an overcoming life, to witness for Jesus, to fulfill the Great Commission, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to see the kingdom advanced. Results of being baptized in the Holy Spirit were supernaturally empowered to witness for Jesus, Acts 1.8. The Bible becomes a living book and Jesus becomes more real to us in John 16, 13 through 14. That's who wrote the Bible, the Holy Spirit. Through man, but who wrote it? He did. And it is living. So at any moment, you can be reading, and the Holy Spirit goes, mind blown. Right? So in that place, he helps us. So a lot of people, when they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they're at, when they read the word, it actually is way more alive to them than it had ever been before. We are anointed with the divine ability to do the works of Jesus. John 4, 12, Luke 4, 18. Our prayer lives take on a new and deeper dimension, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Takes us to a whole other ability to pray. Uh, we are equipped to flow in the supernatural gifts of the Spirit to tear down the kingdom of the enemy and build up the kingdom of God. Mark 16, 17 through 20. So how do we receive the Holy Spirit? First of all, you need to be saved. So if there's anybody in here that's, we're what, week four right now? You know, that's not an uncommon thing that in week four we still have people that haven't surrendered their lives to Jesus. Highly recommend you do. You know, and if you haven't, we should not pray for this yet. <laughs> I mean, we, we can pray for the Holy Spirit to come, and that probably might convince you to, to be a follower of Jesus. But uh, if you haven't, please let somebody know, hey, I want to surrender my life to Jesus today, and we will be excited to do that with you. Um, following salvation, God's gift for all believers is this baptism in the Spirit. So we are, when we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive the Bible evidence of speaking in tongues, Acts 2.4. I want to say this again. This is my opinion. Amy's opinion, but I believe that every person that asks for this actually receives it, but some people don't speak in tongues more out of they're expecting it to be different than it is, or they're, they have this idea of, so they're waiting for something that doesn't really going to happen that way. So oftentimes when I've prayed for people to receive tongues that have already prayed for and asked for it, later on, can you guys fix the lights so I don't know why they're going on and off, on and off, it's like... <laughs> Is it just the way it is? Oh, you can't fix that. So weird. It's like I feel like there's like this slow strobe on me. It's distracting, but um, it's the sun, it's sinking sun. I thought maybe they like they had like a slow strobe on back there. I didn't know. Um, 
Douche, douche, douche. Okay. All right. So we have to ask, we have to ask for it. All right. We have to ask the Lord. Lord, I, I want this, and believe that the moment that we ask, that we receive. So this is what you're gonna do in just a minute. Um, we're gonna pray for this in just a little bit, and. What that's going to mean, though, is that you have to put the sound behind it, and God will give you the words, okay? So there's an action on your part of, and it's usually the first thing that comes, and your mind goes, weird. <laughs> some people, it's so crazy, powerful moment that you're convinced, obviously, it's God. And some people, you're like, man, I thought it would be way more exciting than this. But you have to understand that God is no respecters of persons, and he gives it to you the way that you need it and what he knows best for you. So you've got to put the sound behind it, and he gives you the words. But it comes from the place of faith. We must remove any barriers from receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Lack of knowledge, wrong doctrine, pride, fear, previous involvement with the occult or sin and stuff like that. Our natural mind can get in the way and become blockage and unbelief. So this is real, real. Um, I don't like to do Holy Spirit before Freedom Week. Because when that much power comes, there's a conflict between light and dark. And so I'm not a huge fan of that part. Um, it happens. But if you are living in habitual sin right now and haven't dealt with it, I highly recommend you repent before we do this. For real. It's okay that you feel the fear of God right now. That's called conviction. <laughs> Don't make me be a prophet. Listen, people are like, do you see people sin? Yeah, sometimes I do. Why? Because God wants me to be a part of helping them be restored and walk in the fullness, not so I can judge them or expose them. You understand? But if you're like, I will not do this. No, you won't. You're not praying for me. Okay. I'm not like, come here. You know, I'm going to get you. You know, it's... I know people like that sometimes. I'm like, no, 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 no. So I'm a mama. And here's the thing is I'm highly protective of all of you. And I don't like weird for the sake of weird. But sometimes he's weird. Okay? I don't, I, I'm not insecure about this. So I don't need you to act a certain way to make me feel like I have power. Okay? So it's like I don't care if you fall, stand, shake, laugh. doesn't really matter to me. Now, I'm going to say something. Don't be freaked out is that sometimes when that much power comes, there is a little bit of a conflict in this prayer time that we're going to do in a minute. What I want to ask is that if somebody has a reaction that seems to be negative, as a student, I do not want you to do anything. I want you to focus on the Lord. The staff will take care of that. And in this, I'm going to say this. In this environment, because I am so putting a protection around you and I want everybody to have a positive experience one way or the other, I'm asking today that only staff and those leaders that I've asked us to come today be the ones to pray for people. I don't care if you get 10 prophetic words. Today is not your time to try out prophecy. All right? We'll get to that later. So students, I'm asking you not to. If I see something that is against what I just said, I'll come and have you not do that anymore. Okay? Just for this time, that way I know and that way you feel safe too. Okay, so you know that everyone praying for you is someone that I trust, not saying they're perfect or they're all knowing or anything like that, but that I trust them in their character and who they are. 
okay? So that's the safe environment for everybody in, in this place. And if you are, like, in the very back, we're not going to pray for you. You have to want this, okay? I'm not going to come find you. I mean, one of, my, one of the staff could get a word for somebody. That's fine. But I'm not coming back there. You have to at least say, this is what I want. Pray for me. I don't play games with people. I'm not manipulated by emotions. And will she see me? Will she find me? I knew she couldn't. I see you. I find you. But I'm not giving in to your self-pity and insecurity. So in that moment, you got to want it. And I love you. I really do. But we got to be mature enough to say, I might be scared, but I want you, God. And I'm gentle and I'm kind, okay? I can say that. Everyone can vouch for me in that, is that my heart for you is love and that you would come into encounter with God, whether it's the gentlest thing you've ever seen or the craziest thing you've ever seen. Either way, it is what it is. So if something happens in the room that makes you uncomfortable, that makes you scared or anything like that, we, I got you, okay? I got you. We know. We'll take care of it one way or the other. And if you feel something that happening, this is the thing. Repent. If it's pain, let it go. Okay? So instead of just flipping out in that place of going, Lord, take this from me. I'm experiencing something I don't understand. Here it is. I surrender my heart. I, re I receive your love. All of that. Because if I come pray for you, that's all we're going to say anyway. All right? Come out of agreement with this. Come into agreement with this. Brian taught you how to do this. If you need some help, we'll help you. But the other part is, is this is not your personal prophecy session. And here I want to let you know, people, people come up to me like, the Lord told me you had a word for me. Huh, he didn't tell me that. Huh. Guys, if I had a word for you, I would tell you. Right? Do I know things sometimes that I'm not telling you? Well, yeah, but I'm not supposed to tell you. If that's the case, I will be obedient to God if I have a word. That's not, well, we just pray for me and give me a word. No. That's not what I'm here for, okay? Now, that's not wrong to ask people to pray for you and do all that, but I'm not going to do that. I, would, I can barely walk through the campus without those requests. I just don't do that. It's what God has asked me in this season. If I feel led to do something, I will do it. If I'll pray for you, but I know what people want. They come up, and they'll be like, will you pray for me? Well, they're not asking me to pray for them. They're asking me to give them a word. God is like, bless them, Lord. Amen. Not because I don't love, it's that I don't, I want you to pull on heaven. I want you to lean into him. I don't want you to, prophets prophesy when they're supposed to prophesy, okay? And it's a little bit different. So it's not a lack of love. I'm just trying to set the stage right here so you really understand what we're doing. So God may give me a word for some of you. So if you're standing next to your buddy and you hear me just go off on your buddy and then I'm like, bless him, Lord, and then go to the next one, oh, you know, like nothing happened. Why didn't you hear anything from me? Because I didn't. He didn't want to say anything through me at that point. You know what I mean? True story, guys. I'll tell you one right here. Is I've been going through the line. And I feel all the pressure from somebody. You know, I can feel that stuff. So they're like, she, you know, they want to word all those things. And the Lord goes, don't you dare. And I'm like, what? Really? He's like, nope. I'm like, why? He goes, because they're in a season right now. That I don't want anyone prophesying over them. They're learning to hear my voice, and they have to gain the confidence that I speak to them. And I'm just like, are you really? And, he, and then I'll say, well, they're going to think that you don't like them. And he goes, well, that's, that's, that's what we're dealing with here. And then I'm like, well, they're going to think I don't like them. And he's like, I know, get over it. <laughs> right? 
Guys, so when I look in a room, sometimes it's like the bullseye of heaven. This person is lit up like you wouldn't believe that's how it is for me. And I'm like, I could prophesy over you for three hours. It's just you are in a season where you are the target of God that way. And then the one next to him is like, you have to trust those seasons. If you fight against what God is doing, you're going to go around the mountain again. So in this place with staff and leaders, if we hear something, we'll tell you. If we don't, we don't. It has nothing to do with people liking you more or less. So we're banning self-pity from the room. It's going to be good. So we have a few moments before we move into ministry time. And um, is Scotty here yet? No. If he gets here, we'll have him plug in. So questions related to what I'm speaking on, not random. Yes. How do I respond to them? Yep. Yes. So what do uh, what's your question? I agree. So here's the thing, guys. My job isn't to convince. I'm not going to go into the United Pentecostal. Like, let me tell you how this really is. It's not my job to go into those places and correct their theology unless they invite me into it, right? But you come here. That's my job. My job is to train and equip you because you have submitted yourself to come and be trained by youth with a mission. So now I have authority to help bring alignment to maybe belief systems in that. But I, so, you know, the I'm only going to help that bring alignment to those things when I'm invited in to do it or I've been given permission to do it. It doesn't bear fruit otherwise. Yes. Oh, over here. Anybody else? Any other questions? Yes. I wouldn't put it past him. He might. So uh, if you are already, you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can ask God anything in this context. It's a great place when the increase of the power in the room comes. Take advantage of it. Ask away. You know, I can't tell you yes or no because I don't know, but there's nothing wrong with that. Yes. Um, everybody gets to have a spiritual gift if they want it, but not everyone will operate in all nine of them. And we'll talk about that tomorrow. Anything on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, anything like that? Um, I said it a little bit earlier where I said you can, it says be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So I wouldn't say that you're multi multiple baptisms in the sense of it happened the first time just like salvation. But at the same time, you'll have multiple experiences where you get, you feel an increase on your life. You're stepping into more, those types of things. But you're continually filled. Yes. 
Yeah, if you have a question, just I understand about rebuking fear, but if you're a little nervous, is that okay? I have seen the most manly warrior men shaking in their boots because they're about to encounter God and they know it. So some of you right now, I'll tell you what's happening. Some of you can feel it right in the pit of your stomach, and it's a little bit of an anxious nervousness and sort of feel jittery, and it wasn't the coffee that you had at break. That's him. <laughs> Why? Something about to go down. So, like, there's something happening, right? It also makes you go, I'm really scared, but I want it. It's like roller coasters. Oh, crap. What I do? What I do? What I do? Yeah! You know what I mean? It's sometimes like that. I love roller coasters. I'm just like, bring it. So probably even personality. Some of you don't like, I don't like him. Um, but he knows what you need. So, yes, it's okay to be nervous. Anything else? Yes. They are very wrong. So his thing was is that he's heard that if you're not slaying the spirit, then people have told him it's because that you're not open enough. That is not true. You won't see Andy fall over or Lauren Cunningham. <laughs> yeah, nope, not true. But here's the thing. If you're like, I'm not falling, I'll be like, next. Like, I'm not, it's not about falling. But then some I've seen it, I don't believe this. Boom. <laughs> Literally, this can't happen. Boom. You know what I mean? Like crazy stuff where they're like, this is what I say. God, I want you. Come as you want to come. If I fall, I fall. If I stand, I stand. It's not about that. It's about being open to what you have for me. All right, right here. So sometimes people do operate, obviously, in spiritual gifts and all of this. They have it. They don't even realize they have it. Now, there's a sovereignty to sometimes for people. First of all, when I was a kid, I would lay in my bed at night, and I would speak in a language that I did not know and did not understand. And I thought, hmm, this is so crazy. I have this secret language. <laughs> One day, I hear this preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm like, uh-oh, I've been doing that for years, right? I was kind of sovereignly baptized. Andy's youngest son, I remember him sitting in his car seat in the back, the three years old. I'm like, Whoa! And we're in somewhere, and this prophetic guy comes, I feel like Asher's going to receive this at a young age. He did. And so there's times where I think that we actually have received the level of it, that, uh, or we've received it, and we don't, just from walking with God and being close with him. Now, we may not have spoken in tongues yet, and so if that's the case, like, I feel like I'm walking in power, but I haven't received my prayer language, and I want to, this is a great day for you. I would not recommend you calling up dad back in, you know, that has a very conservative background. Hey, dad, check this out. You know, he'd be like, you're in a cult. You're in a cult, right? You know, come home. I'm coming to get you. <laughs> Isn't it neat? So this is the thing is that they don't have this context. Put it this way. Some of you are like, I don't really know. Some of you feel a whole lot better right now than you did at 8 o'clock this morning. Some of you at 8 o'clock were like, mm-mm, and now you're like, bring it, because you started to understand, right? 
So if your family hasn't had that yet, it would be very hard to do this over the phone. Highly recommend you don't do that unless you know that they're just as hungry for something that you are, okay? Don't lie to them. I'm not saying keep things from them. I'm saying use wisdom, okay? Like, there's just a lot of things that you don't call home about because they would only bring fear and confusion because they weren't there to see it or weren't there to experience it. It's going to sound different to them. Now, when you go home and they're like, you are really different. What happened to you? Why are you so joyful and all these things? And you're like, well, I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and set up. We're ready to roll. Um, all of those things, then, then they get to ask. I love all of our worship leaders, but I really love Scotty. <laughs> Just we flow. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So do you know what I mean in that? Is that you will have, God will open that door. There's this thing, this sounds really, I'm not calling your parents swine, but don't cast your, don't cast your pearls before swine. What that means is the precious thing that God gives us, don't put it before, don't do this until they're ready. Do you know what I mean? It's in that place of they won't understand it, and it's precious to you, and wait until the opportunity arises. Yeah. Anything else? Questions? Okay, this is what we're going to do. Now listen to me. Oh, one more. Right over here. Yep. Well, the Holy Spirit comes upon. But it wasn't until Jesus ascended into heaven that then the helper came. So just like the Holy Spirit came upon John in the womb, he came upon Samson, Gideon, and David. Yeah. So, and, and John and Jesus obviously had a special relationship. Here's the thing about most of what I, I teach in all of this. These are not rules and regulations how everything works. He's God and he can do whatever he wants. I see him do things that blows my theology out of the water all the time. But what I say is, is it bearing fruit? Does it look like Jesus? Now, I'm going to give you some instruction right now. But I'm asking that you not grab your stuff and you do not move until I finish the instruction. People have the hardest time with this. It's crazy. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to stack all the chairs on the side of the room.